Hey everybody, welcome to episode 14 of the Power Up Real Estate Podcast. My name is Mike Fritz and today we talk about... Hey everybody, welcome to episode 14 of the Power Up Real Estate Podcast. And uh, today's an interesting episode and a very powerful episode. From the perspective of lending, we all know if we're going to scale a real estate portfolio, we're going to have to partner with either private money partners or lenders. And today I interview Bo Eckstein, who's not only an experienced real estate investor, but it's also a loan broker with over 20 years of an experience. And Bo has sold real estate as a licensed agent. He's originated conventional mortgages and literally funded hundreds of millions of dollars worth of real estate transactions from commercial financing, construction loans, and even private money deals. And uh, Bo recently loca- relocated from San Francisco to Las Vegas, and he is, still does considerable amount of business in Northern California, but his reach is gone national, and he does business everywhere. And so I wanted you as our pure family, and again, pure stands for power up real estate. I wanted you to have access to uh, somebody who really got the lending process. I want you to understand how to really work with a lender. And I learned so much during this episode, and I know uh, it'll be helpful to you as well. So enjoy the episode as I interview Bo Eckstein, also the founder of Thrive Rhea. One man, One mission, to help people create freedom through real estate. Welcome to the Power Up Real Estate Podcast that brings you pure gold when it comes to investing in real estate, growing your net worth, and create the life you want. It's time to find deals and find money. Please welcome your host, Mike Fritz. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Power of Real Estate Podcast. I'm Mike Fritz. I am your host. And this week, as you just heard in our bio, we have Bo Eckstein, not only a lender, but a personal real estate investor, a broker in California. And he has uh, so much knowledge just around real estate. I met Bo probably about four or five months ago, maybe six months ago now, uh, in the lending space, in the multifamily space, some of the bigger multifamily buildings we're buying. Bo is not only a great um, consultant and educator on the lending process of those buildings, but he's an unbelievable resource in helping get funding for those buildings. Because one of the things people don't understand, a lot of times people don't understand is with multifamily buildings, when we raise money to get buildings, we still still go get a loan. We raise the down payment plus the fees, and then we go get money. And that's where Bo comes in. And so Bo, thank you so much for being on the show today, buddy. I really appreciate it. All right. Uh, happy to be here. Happy Friday. <laughs> happy Friday, man. I'll tell you what, happy Friday. We are shooting this in July, but uh, we are right in the middle, I, I hope, on the end of the COVID-19 uh, pandemic and, and si- significant situation that we're all trying to, to, uh, to manage. And that certainly impacted lending, that's for sure, and how people are approaching loans. But before we get to there, just tell us a little bit about your story of why you're so passionate about real estate. I've talked to you on a number of different platforms and been on your show with uh, Vinny. And uh, Vinny Chopper, who's also been here, been on your guys' show. You're doing some amazing educating and lending. But how did you get so passionate about real estate? Um, well, I guess uh, growing up, I always um, was was an entrepreneur at heart. Um, you know, when I was 15 or 16, I would always come up with ideas. Uh, and I created this piece of boxing equipment. And um, anyway, I, I, I uh, got a prototype drafted up and, and, um, figured out how to get something, get a patent. Uh, so I got like a, a, a 
I filed the initial patent paperwork. I never got a final patent on this, but I created this piece of boxing equipment and then I tried to sell it or license it to a company that does a lot of infomercials online. And they, they wrote back and they, they just weren't interested at the time. And then, um, it's kind of disheartening, but, um, the funny thing was, is years later, I was sitting on my couch and, and sure enough, somebody created the same product and, and um, is now selling it, right? And so what that taught me was, is that, you know, you're, you're, I'm a good idea guy, but you got to implement and follow through, right? And the same thing with real estate investing. So as I've had that entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial spirit, I, I realized that um, real estate was was a great way because you can use your creativity as an investor and a lender, right? Uh, which I both do. I do both of those things. And you to, to, to be a good investor, you have to be creative, right? Because there's everything you learn is a tool on your tool belt, I like to say. And so maybe somebody uh, out there uh, is doesn't have much equity, but they have a low fixed rate mortgage or whatever, right? And it's a cash flowing property. They just need to move. They, their only option is to short sell it, which will screw their credit up. But you, maybe you can come to them and say, hey, listen, what if I bought it subject to your existing mortgage, left your mortgage in place, and this allows me to keep it as a rental. I can cash flow three or $400 a month. Solves your problem, solves my problem because I want cash flow. And, you know, I have a track record of doing that stuff. So because, I've, I, because I understand that, I, I'm able to offer that solution, right, to, to somebody right. that if you didn't know subject to investing, you might not be able to offer that solution, right, or any creative structure. So, so learning, learning creative structures is, is critical in investing it. And I like... True. I like that part of the business is that the creativity side, how to find off market deals, how to lead generate, because really real estate isn't that complicated. It's really a matter of taking action action and figuring out the solutions. So as I got started, I wasn't very good, good in the school realm. I, I, you know, not that I was a, a bad student or a, I, I, I couldn't apply these skills. I just wasn't interested in, in, in traditional education. I and, can relate. I can and, relate. I was terrible in school, terrible in school. <laughs> and, and, and then, so I graduated um, high school and always going, you know, thinking that, Hey, I want to be successful business person. And then um, kind of fell into the mortgage industry. Um, and I started as a telemarketer when I was 20 years old. And I was really good on the phones. And quickly I said, geez, I'm, I'm creating these awesome lead opportunities and passing them off. And I'm making, you know, a couple hundred bucks and this loan officers, loan officers making thousands of dollars. Why don't I just go get my license so I can originate loans? So I did that and I started brokering residential loans. It taught me the fundamentals of real estate um, to a certain degree. And then from there, I started selling properties and that taught me another level of like negotiation and how real estate sales works and how real estate works to a deeper level. And then I started buying real estate before I knew how to invest. And on the West Coast, we were speculating pretty hard in 2004, five, six, and I was in my 20s. So I ended up buying a lot of real estate I shouldn't have bought. Anyways, after 2007, you know, I got, you know, I got in a bad position because I owned a lot of houses in my mid twenties that I shouldn't have bought. Um, taught me a valuable lesson that you need to buy, f buy properties the right way and not speculate. And so 
uh, after that, I had to go back to the drawing board of like the mistakes I made. And then, and then at that point I was, let's say I was 28 years old and I'm like, geez, what am I going to do now? I just ruined my credit. Um, I've got all these charge offs and foreclosures on my credit report and not a pot to pee in. Right. So, um, it's a very humbling experience for that to happen. Cause I always thought I was really smart and all this stuff. So I had to pick myself up from a mindset perspective. And then I just got back on the horse and started selling houses and doing loans. I met a gentleman and, um, and as we were chatting, uh, I'd done, done business with this company before, but I didn't realize he also had a private mortgage fund and their fund did, did fix and flip and construction loans. And I said, geez, that's an awesome product, especially right now, because there's so many houses we're selling for pennies on the dollars, you know, in 2009 and 10. And so I became an originator for his private mortgage fund. And I started originating these loans. Um, this might've been 2009. Um, and so then I learned the fundamentals of real estate investing, right? I, I was lending money to these contractor flipper guys. And I'm like, wow, this is, if these guys can do it, I can do it. So then I put together having no money. I put together like different kind of structures to buy real estate. So I, I joined ventured with a contractor. So he would do the work at cost. And then I, uh, and then our other partner was the money guy. And then we basically, I got into a bunch of flips with none of my own money and I would get a third of the profit. And then during that time, I kept on learning different loan uh, origination, funding platforms, commercial lending and so forth. Um, which evolved me into where I'm at today, where I'm able to fund a different, you know, uh, bank type loans, private bridge type loans, SBA resources. So I'm able to look at a project and go, okay, these are probably the best places to fund the deal. And that brings value because I'm not like an order taker where I've never done my own real estate investing. I've flipped a ton of houses and I've also done a lot of buy and holds out of state. So I'm well-rounded when it comes to that and and i think i bring a lot of value because i'm i'm not like a typical banker i'm um i'm versed i have what i'm really good at is connecting people and resources and i use those skills to successfully fund other people's projects as well along with my project and it's going putting it all together um i run a large real estate investor group i realized early on that really your network is your net worth and it's so true it's everybody says that statement but it's the the facts the fact of the matter is is that as you're developing your skills you need to surround yourself with people that can bring expertise in certain uh certain other different realms like you need to understand um self-directed ira so you can borrow money from people's iras and raise money that way right you need to learn what uh when you need to do a syndication you need to learn how to get the maximum leverage and what the best financing for the project is you need to know how to buy properties off market, know how to talk to sellers. So learning all these skills has helped me in so, so many ways to become uh, a well-rounded investor. And I'm learning every single day. On top of that is that I've also realized that really the most important piece of this all too is that we're not just investors or, or I don't just sell money. I'm a, I'm a media company. I need to market myself, right? So people know what I do and bring me their deals whether I'm buying properties or I'm, I'm here to finance your deal. So as I develop my business either even further, it's working on marketing techniques and then automating and systematizing processes, which I've never been good at, but now going forward is my main focus, meaning 
I'm going to get virtual assistants to come into my business where I can pay them three to five bucks an hour to take those tasks off my desk. And, and, and every day, Monday through Friday, I have somebody making direct contacts with people that need money or people that need to sell property. And, and that's happening. And that's build that. So that's, what does that do? It builds your funnel of, of, of deals. And you want that totally. funnel constantly being filled. So that's kind of my business in a, in a, in a nutshell. So, so good. So, okay. There's, there's so many things to underscore in that, um, in just your background and what you're doing. Cause one of the things we talk about, you made, you made a comment, a couple of things I want to underscore. You made a comment about how real estate's not that, um, it's not that confusing. However, there's a lot to learn around it to be that creative person. We talk about whether you're going to wholesale, flip houses, do big multifamily deals, small multifamily deals, being a creative problem solver is one of the best skills you can have, meaning how do I find deals? How do I find distressed sellers? Once I find them, how do I negotiate with them so it's a win-win so I'm not just coming in and capitalizing on people's bad scenarios? And so all of this stuff, then how do I partner with people like Bo and how do I find money? And, and so... I want to talk a little bit about, all right, so now let's say I'm an investor. I want to start investing in some, some, some deals. I want to start investing maybe even some bigger deals. I want to start getting some passive income because here we talk about a wide array of real estate, but it's no secret. My passion is multifamily real estate because I believe it creates the most passive revenue, forced depreciation, all kinds of reasons. And you loan on a lot of that, not only some of my friends, but you are one of the, uh, one of the lenders I know that are just you, you can do on national deals and you're doing big deals all the time. So what do I need to know if I'm starting to, to, to either raise money or I'm starting to bust into this thing of real estate, what should I know about the lending side? Like what should I be prepared for? Do I need to um, work on my credit score? Cause a lot of people focus on credit score when they think about loans, but they, they don't really understand um, that that's, that, that, not that that's not important, but there are other things that are more important. So talk a little bit about if I'm going to come get, I'm going to buy two and a half million dollar property. I'm going to buy a million dollar property. And I, guys, if you're listening today and you're no, never done a piece of real estate, I'm not saying you should start here. I am saying, however, that we want to get you to a place where you're comfortable buying um, significant real estate. And that's our passion. And, and, and that's why I wanted Bo on here. So what should I be focusing on? If I'm going to buy a two and a half million dollar deal, what kinds of things should I be putting in place to be able to, to track down that loan? Sure. So anytime um, one to four unit properties are considered residential. And Correct. so once you move up to a five unit property, everything's looked at differently. We're, we're basically looking at the, the net operating income, the potential income or the potential income of the property. A lot of times when you're starting out, you're doing what we call value add deals where you're buying something that the, the rents are low and might need to be rehabbed. And then you're bumping rent, rents and creating higher value. So, uh, multifamily is valued on the income versus comparative sales like single family homes. So that's the first mindset shift you need. And by and the way, pause just a sec, Bo. Uh, go back and listen to that part again. We say that a lot, but I want people to understand the value of what he just mentioned. The reason we love multifamily is it's seen as a business, commercial multifamily. It's seen as a business. They, they track its validity based on its income, meaning if you can increase the income, you can control the speed limit of how much that property's worth and the speed limit of appreciation. Whereas if you buy a single family home, the, the economy and the area determines its appreciation, not its income. And that's one of the reasons why I'm such a multifamily guy is because, hey, if I, if I buy a you know, 20 unit property and the NOI is whatever, 50 grand a year, whatever that number is, and I can bump that up to 60 grand a year or 55 grand a year, I've just skyrocketed that, the, the building's net worth and, or the building's worth and what I can sell it for. So I want you to understand what he just said 
go back and listen to it. It's such a valuable piece. Keep going, Bo. I just wanted to make sure everybody got how valuable that piece was. Perfect. So um, if you're buying properties under a million dollars, there's kind of a different appetite for those type of properties. Typically, banks or portfolio lenders are going to do the small multifamily loans. When you move up a million plus in loan amount, you were going to talk about agency debt. Agency debt, they have small balance lending, which is like a million to six and a half, seven million um, in, in gross loan amounts. And that really comes down to is, is the, the, they, look at, they look at the sponsorship group, the borrowers essentially, and they're looking at their net worth. They're looking obviously at the property itself, the debt service coverage ratio. Um, and they're also looking at the borrowers or the sponsorship team, team's liquidity, right? Because you have to have certain, typically your net worth as a sponsorship, sponsorship team has to equal, be equal to or greater than the loan amount um, for agency type debt. So a lot of people getting started might not be there with their sponsorship team. So we do have options, which is called a bridge loan. If you're doing a, if you're doing a heavy value add, meaning the occupancy level of the property is like less than 90%, right? And you're working on getting the, getting that occupancy level up to 95, 96, 97%. A lot of times these value add deals go into what we call a bridge loan. And those are designed to get, that property stabilized and get the net operating income optimi op optimized for, you know, cause obviously the higher NOI, um, the higher the value of the property, right? So a lot of times what we see is bridge to agency or bridge to HUD financing. So you then refinance you, it's basically the same thing as uh, burring a property, a single family home, right? Like we create value in the property uh, and then now it's worth more because we rehabbed it and then we're able to, to refinance it and put it into a long-term fixed rate loan. And that's the purpose of a bridge to agency or bridge to HUD loan. Sometimes there's large syndicators that now m raising money is easy for them. So they just buy stabilized properties to begin with. They don't need to do the heavy lifting that most of us are doing, right? Because most newer investors start with value add because that's where you can create the biggest amount of gain or equity in a property. So we, most of us start in those type of properties, but as we move up the food chain, now we have, you know, 200 investors in our database. We can raise millions of dollars at a snap of our finger and we're able to go take down large pro properties that are um, maybe there are, a B minus and we're going to make them a B plus, right? We're going to, we're going to buy the B and A properties. We're not going to be buying the C and D properties. So knowing that, and that's kind of the model of, of how the multifamily business works is that, you know, you, you, you might, you might not do a syndication, which means you're not raising other people's money through a private placement memorandum and a securities offer, offering. You might be buying small multi deals and doing joint ventures instead. So you got to really know how to raise money and, and the legalities behind that. But there's all sorts of funding depending on the property pro property itself and the current income and the location and the borrower's net worth. So what we do is we have initial call. What's the occupancy? Can you send me the rent rolls in two years of the past performance of the property along with a pro uh, along with a pro forma? Show me, you know, after you implement your strategy, what's it going to be worth three years down the road? What are the rents going to be at? So that's what you generally need to get get a basic sizing of your loan so you can determine what's the best strategy, you know, taking down the property and then, you know, fast forward 
And also, what's your exit strategy? Some people just like to get in and get out and flip a property and a multifamily property, just like a house. So is it only going to be a 24-month term or 12-month term? And we have different loans that accommodate different scenarios. We have high leverage financing, which is somebody that doesn't want to raise money. I can, I can do up to 75% of the stabilized value, meaning you know, the ARV, if we're talking about fix and flip loans, it's the same thing in multifamily, but just based on the income. So the guy's buying the property for a million, he's putting in 300,000 in CapEx. Now it's gonna be worth 2 million. I can go up, up to 2 million of that stabilized value. And we fund control the construction and the rehab and the CapEx. Sure, so sure. We're not lending at all. So, but essentially you can get 100% financing with some funds. But, but when you're doing that, remember everything comes down to risk levels. That money is gonna be the most expensive money versus somebody that has 40% of their own money put in the deal, right? Right, of course. Levels, it's all asset style, asset class, and so forth. Yeah, and I think that people, one of the things that, and if you're listening to this and you're, you're, you just heard about 12 terms that you've never heard, HUD loans, and you've heard ARVs, and you've heard NOIs, and there's a lot of things flying around that maybe you've never heard of. This is why we talk a lot about, this is why we have different people. We want to raise the level of your game. I remember when I first got into this space, I almost just didn't continue because how much there was to learn. But what I realized was, is there's so many people in this industry like Bo and others that are just willing to walk us through what a lot of those terms are. How do we do this? What is a bridge loan? What is it, you know, what's the difference? I hear ARVs for wholesalers and what, what does that mean for multifamily? What I want you guys thinking about today is, where do I want to go in my real estate? We want you to continue to grow. And the only way to really grow at a sustainable rate is to partner with lenders. That's the only way to do it. And so one of the reasons why I wanted Bo to come on today is say, okay, what do you need to be getting in? What do you need to be getting uh, in your pocket to get ready? So let's say, Bo, let's say I'm going to get a, a $2 million property. I'm going to go buy a $2 million property. I've got to raise what's, I mean, usually 30%. So I've got to raise what? I've got to raise about 600 grand, something like that for for a down payment. And then I've got a couple fees on that. I might have to raise on a two and a half million dollar loan. I might have to raise, I don't know, a million bucks, 900,000 bucks. I might have to raise that, right? So talk to me a little bit about the qualifications of the borrower. What do I need to be doing in my own net worth in life to be preparing to get a loan like that? Sure. So one thing is, is that what's your experience, right? If you have no experience, you're, it's going to be very difficult for you to go to zero to a, a 60 unit acquisition, right? Be, okay, but the, w there's ways around everything. And the way around that is, is find partners that have experience. And that's, Absolutely. A common, that's a common play in multifamily is that I might not have any experience, but I, what I did, what I do have is I just found the deal, I underwrote the deal, and I assemble a team of sponsors and, and you know, key, key parties essentially. And one of that, those key parties could be the person with the high net worth. One of those parties could be the deal finder. Maybe it was me, right? And I don't. And keep keep in mind, maybe I have no experience. I haven't even done a flip or anything. Right. And then maybe there's another person that does the capital raising, and they're the they're the three in the sponsorship team. And and now I'm bankable in multifamily space. Right. So, and that, that's, that's really key, guys. What he just said is so, so, so key. We talked about this on another our podcast with Vina Jetty, um, who came on and who's a syndicator with Enzo Multifamily. And she, she talked a lot about this. Vinny talks a lot about this. Bo talks a lot about this. It's kind of like Tony Robbins, success leaves clues, right? When enough people are saying it, listen, if you are just getting into this space, one of the best things you can do 
is be one of the grinders in the workhorses and partner with somebody that does know this space, whether it's partnering with somebody that has the borrowability or partner with somebody that has the, the raising, uh, the raising capital skill set. partnering, you maybe bring a deal and they cut you in on only five to 10% of the equity. You don't get much, but you learn, you get a ton in education, right? And you can take that forward and being, being one of the GPs on a, 50 unit apartment building to a 250 unit apartment building. What does that really do to your credibility when you're out talking to people? And in both for the first thing he said was your experience. Well, that gives you a lot of experience. So one of the things I don't think people are, are here a lot, and I want to say it over and over again, you have to be willing to come in and do some of this stuff, maybe even at free, but do some of this stuff on, 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 on a team that, so you can learn a lot of this stuff, right? So be willing to not accept a lot of the cash up front for the long-term play. I just want to pause because Bo, that was such a great point. So keep yeah. going, my man. So and, yeah, and so that, what else do I got to get? Experience, what else? And this is, that's the same thing on fix and flip. So if you're doing your first fix and flip, when I, I, I cut my teeth doing fix and flip loans, I still do some. Yeah. And so the questions we ask are, you know, what's the purchase price? What's the rehab budget? What's your ARV? Yeah. What's the, what's the address of the property? What's your credit score? And how many flips have you done in the last three years? It's the same. And is that on hard money, Bo? Are you doing hard money lending on, on fix and flips? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so the, the, they're sim, everything's similar, right? Like you're going to get the best rates. You're going to get the best rates and the highest leverage always if you're experienced. Absolutely. If you do, right? I'm taking a risk on you because you've never successfully flipped one house, right? Right. And so, so it's almost they almost mirror each other. The difference in multifamily and single family space is that uh, multi is more valued on an income approach. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 But we do have, we, uh, we do offer portfolio loans where like you might take 20 rental properties you have, and I could do one blanket loan against them. And we look at that. That's a commercial product for us. Cause we'll look at debt service coverage ratio, even on our portfolio rental loans for single family, we look at debt service coverage ratio. And so those, these are terms that you should be Googling if you don't know what dead service coverage ratio is. Yep. But, it, but it's essentially a, a, a underwriting tool we use to look to make sure that what you're buying is going to cash flow essentially. It's going to cover the mortgage by 125% or more is basically the tool. Yep. Which is why a lot of times you'll hear that 1.25 number. That's why they, they, you'll hear that float around the industry. So, and I love, I love the fact that you're talking about multifamily and single family because some people may want to do both. They may want to start one. They may want to go to the other, but you're saying the requirements are still the same. Not only, and I'll, I'll even say this from my own personal experience, not only will lending be a lot better if as your experience, but I've realized is the more like our, our hard money lender uh, does when, when, when anybody hits five hard money projects with them, they get a better service rate. They get a better deal after the fifth project together because they're like, okay, not only are they, I know they're experienced, but not only that, I've seen their track record and they've done five with us. I'm even going to give them a better rate. So it's not only just your experience, but even when you stick with a lender for a while, especially in the hard money space, you even get better deals over time. Exactly. Exactly. So I always have to point that out to people too, because you know, I, you always, people always want, what's, what's the pricing for fix and flip? Well, you know, what's your experience? Like, that's the key. Absolutely. You know, if, if you're doing, if you've done 20 flips in the last two years, you're pretty solid, right? Versus yeah. none. Well, what if I, what if I'm a real estate agent? Well, have you done any flips? No. Well, I mean, you might understand real estate, but until you, until you get in there and do a flip and learn the struggles on, on that side, wearing that side. And, and so, 
I always encourage people like if you really want to dive into real estate and you want to quit your day job is maybe get your real estate license too and become an investor friendly agent because then you you kind of learn and you you're, also me being an agent in the past I have a, I have a network of real estate agents right and that where do we, where do most of us get deals even off market deals is from other uh, from real estate agents so um, you know you got to kind of think of it as a a, a circle right and, and and, and a, there's spokes or a wheel and there's spokes on the wheel and you got to have your, your, your fingers and all that to get the deal flow coming in and to get, get opportunities that you're not going to get without knowing these types of people. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what we're going to do real quick, guys, we are going to take a quick uh, break for some of our sponsors and we'll be right back. Bo's going to tell us a little bit about uh, what you can, uh, what you can be doing, not only right now, we've already, well, we've already covered that, but what, if you're going to get into a deal that's a little bit bigger, what do you need to do next? So we'll be back in just a minute. All right, everybody, welcome back to Power for Real Estate Podcast. Today, I'm interviewing Bo Eckstein, who is uh, uh, not only a lender, but a real estate investor broker in California. And he's talking to us a little bit today of how we position ourselves to lend, because if you really want to scale your real estate business, you're not going to do it without the partnership of lenders partnership of private money partners, partnership of deal finders. Like there's a, there's a, there's a team there, right? And one of those key pieces is that lending, is that lending. So um, now I want to talk a little bit more about now they know what you do. They, they, you've talked to them a little bit and I'm going to re uh, we're going to come back a little bit to some of those practical elements at the end, but tell us a little bit about um, what is one thing you knew? This is what I love to ask our guests. What's one thing you knew you, uh, one thing you wish you knew when you started in real estate that, I, that sure. it would help our people. What's one thing you're like, I wish I'd have known that when I launched my real estate company. Sure. I'm going to take it back to the first house I ever bought. Walk Which is great. That's my next question is what's your, what was your first real estate deal? So bring and it. This, and this was a, my first deal essentially was creative financing um, and just didn't realize that it was a pretty good move to do. But I, I grew up in the Bay area um, and real estate prices there are expensive. And so this was, this was, uh, I would say close to 18, 19 years ago when I bought my first house and, um, I was needed a place to live. So, so I happened to know this guy wanted to move. He was a friend of a friend. Um, and, I said, yeah, I, I'm interested in your property. And, and at the time I couldn't qualify for a loan. And I said, well, what if I lease option it? And he said, I'm open to that. So I said, okay, well, I'll pay you 2000 a month. And it was a duet. Uh, so I would own, it's like a duplex, but I owned one side of it or, or was going to. And I said, well, can we set the price that I, you know, I'll lease it for 12 months and then let me, it was a lease, lease option. Let me set the price now. And fortunately, I set the price at 325 at the time. And then 12 months later, um, so the first thing I did too is I, I, that was a lot of rent for me at the time. So I, I got two roommates and they covered most of the lease payment. And then I, um, at the, when I, after month 12, I was ready to exercise the option, meaning now I had the option, I had a window of like 90 days to buy the property. And we had set on the price of 325. When I went to go get it appraised, it appraised at 375. The lender at that time actually treated it as a refinance. So I created $50,000 equity, used that equity as skin in the deal, bought the property. 
So the biggest mistake I made so far is that I've owned so many properties over the years, but I didn't hold as many as I should have. So I own that property and then I ended up moving to open a mortgage company in, in Northern Nevada. And I ended up selling that property a couple of years later. And I might've sold it for 425 or something like that. I can't remember exactly. But the point was, is that if I would have just simply kept that as a rental today, that property would not have a mortgage on it and it's worth $800,000. So, and then over the time, and then from there, I, I moved up to Northern Nevada, which I lived in on the lake up in Lake Tahoe on the Nevada side. And I bought a, a fixer upper there, which that area is known for the, they call it the area where the billionaires are kicking out the millionaires, just very wealthy people because they come from California. They want Nevada residency because there's no state tax. Yeah, of course. Another learning lesson is if I would have just, when I moved from there, if I would have kept that and kept it as a, a furnished rental for vacationers, I could have cash flowed it. Today, that property's, it's been remodeled, but it probably just traded around 1.8 million, right? And so, but I got nothing out of it when I sold it. I might've made a few grand, uh, you know, 30, 40 grand. Um, so I look back at all those opportunities that I, I was thinking, hey, I need the money now where I could have thought creatively like, okay, like maybe I keep this as a, a, a vacation home and you know, I can up the cash flow, and it makes, makes me 30 grand a year income, right? I didn't think like that back then. So that's why the power of these kind of podcasts, right? Like where you're listening to me, maybe I'm, I'm somebody out there has got some light bulbs popping off right now. So I'm always listening to other people because so many people have different experiences and just that one little nugget, you know, uh, that I might give to somebody or today I might hear from somebody is, is, is so critical. Yesterday, I just, absolutely. To, yesterday, I, a guy reached out to me and he had a great story. He wanted to speak at my meetup and I was listening to his story and, and, and he's just a guy that didn't need to go buy, you know, he, he might have uh, 13 doors, all single, mostly single family. But, you know, he has vacation properties up at the lake. It happened to be the same lake, Lake Tahoe. And they're all that, now they're all free and clear. And they, they each create $60,000 of gross revenue uh, a year. So he does. So you don't necessarily need to go buy 100 unit properties, but you just need to be strategic on the assets you have and create the most cash flow. So going back and circling back is that that was my first deal um, that taught me creative financing. And then, the, the lesson learned is that you need to hold these properties. I've done so many flips in California, which I would, if I would have hold a percentage of those properties and, and, and kept them as rentals, I would have been in such a superior financial situation than I am now. And also the thing I think is really important is, is there are cycles in markets. Markets don't always go up. Like the last 10 years has been, it's created so many people that I think they're, you know, rocket science, uh, scientists, investors, right? But really the reality of it is, is that in California, for example, I could have bought something in Antioch, Antioch, California for a hundred grand. Today it's worth 350, right? And so it didn't take, but the thing was, is like how many of us had that foresight to, you know, in the downturn of an economy to, to buy, 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 buy. Right. When the next downturn comes, and right now we're not seeing it because of COVID, but, but also we may see, it might be a few months delayed, there might be some, some opportunities. And so during those opportunity phases, 
you create the most wealth, right? If, if you were buying in 2009, 10, 11, 12, 13, you supercharge your wealth pattern. Um, the only other way really to supercharge your wealth pattern in a non, uh, appreciating market like that is to be do is to be doing heavy value add type properties, whatever asset class. And that's the way to kind of take, I mean, where you buy a property for a million and you put in 500 and now it's worth 3 million, right? Where are you going to create value like that? And there's opportunities that are, people are, are doing those type of deals, even in a competitive market today. Right. So absolutely. Absolutely. Finding that, finding those niches. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that, that's fantastic. And I think that that's a, uh, you know, you talk about, you know, whether, whether they're buying and selling or buying and holding, I heard that I heard a real estate mentor say this to me one time, every real estate investor wishes they had every house they ever sold. And um, because it, the, of what you just said, it's like, yeah, I mean, I, I did sell that in 2015 and I made good money, but if I'd have sell, sold it in 2019, I'd have made great money. Or if I'd have sold it today, even more money. And so the whole point is, is so many people look at fix and flips, for example, or, or fix and short flips, like, you know, hold a year or whatever. And they, they, because they like that 20 to $30,000 or 50, whatever the number is, depending on where you're flipping in the country and what kind of deal it is, they like that injection of cash, but it takes patience to really see some of that wealth. It's interesting. Jim Rohn said, most people aren't patient enough to be successful and he's right. But then a lot of people are, it's not just about patience. It's about your mindset going into it. I'm not actually going in this to make quick money. I'm actually going in this to create freedom and long-term wealth. And so I love that. So what piece of advice? So you have all these real estate investors. They want someone to get into real estate. Some people on our show have maybe five units. Some people have, maybe they've done five or 10 fix and flips. Maybe they're ready to get into real. Um, maybe they're really ready to step their game up and say, you know what? I want to get into some seven figure, um, some seven figure boxes and really start renting some places out. And, and what piece of advice would you give our real estate investors to say, okay, here's what to do to take the next step in your career, whatever that is. Um, for one thing is, is educate and then implement, right? Educate and implement. If you're not, if you're not implementing what you learn or taking action, nothing's ever going to be accomplished and you have to, you have to just dive in really. Uh, I hear that a lot and it's so true. You just got to dive in and you got to, you got to really kind of, um, stick things out even though sometimes it's awfully painful, you make mistakes, you buy a property that you're not expecting things, learn really to do good due diligence on these properties and then think long-term. Like if you're doing a heavy rehab that you want to refinance and keep it as a, as a long-term rental, just think about what's the realistic time frame for you to actually get that property done, especially if you're investing out of the market, right? Like if I'm buying in Indiana, for me to manage construction there and get things done is like extremely difficult because you know, you have to have the team, you have to have the right people and there's delays and just things don't go wrong. Houses get broken into. So you got to just figure out where you're investing your model, who your boots on the ground are, how are you going to manage the project and then just take massive action and just be on top of it. Like glue, you know, you just don't, you, you gotta, you can't think things are, are peachy and it's just going to happen. You have to grind it out. You have to make things happen because everybody talks about this passive income. And, and 
passive income just doesn't accidentally happen. Like, yes, if maybe I was a corporate employee and have a, you know, a couple million bucks sit in the bank, I can go put it into a project that's a limited partner and not do much and get a decent return. But for the average person with limited funds, that's trying to become financially free, we got to put the work in to get the passive income. There's no, there's no fast way. I mean, once you get a portfolio going, then you have, you know, you could have a property manager and then it's nice because bearing there's no turnover and things you get your statement at the end of the month. And that's when I consider it's passive, but you got a lot of lifting before you get to that point. And so you got to realize that and you got to have thick skin because it's going to be painful. Sometimes, sometimes, you know, out of the blue, a tree's going to fall and, and crash through a roof of running your rental properties. Right. Um, yeah, actually, ironically, uh, in South Bend, where we both own property, I had a, a proper, I had a, a storm come through about a, uh, maybe 30 days ago, and I had a tree demolish a garage completely. It's gone. Well, yeah, that same storm, <laughs> that yeah. same storm, that's what I'm talking about. A tree just fell through my house. Oh my gosh, I didn't know that. That's that's crazy. And Bo and I use the same manager. Thanks to Bo, he sent me to a really good manager in the area. And, uh, but, but, uh, yeah, when she texts me those pictures, I'm like, oh my, I actually thought about you. I'm like, dude, I wonder, I wonder if those properties weathered well. well. Yeah. Yeah. But, but what I like about, you know, uh, and I, and I talk about like, I've done some big deals in my life and I've also done extremely small deals and I, and I actually, because I don't like to be too vested in one project at a time, I kind of like having the diversity of being able to do combination. Yeah, for sure. And, and you know, like that house was, a, I bought that house for $9,000, right? So. <laughs> right? You buy a lot of those houses in South Bend that are, that are, that are that, and you get a great return on those places. Yeah. Yeah. I like those. And so, yeah. you know, I, um, so, you know, looking forward, I'll, I'll continue to buy a couple of those because we have, once you have a good management team, it's really not that much work. Um, and then you collect checks, but, but then, you know, you do have your bigger opportunities where, um, you got to start, if you want to kind of, uh, expedite your financial freedom, you got to think bigger and you gotta, you gotta move on to like multifamily doors. And then, so I think advice going forward is, um, if you're going to do heavy value add, same thing in fix and flip, right? Like you really got to think, think, think things through. And, um, I personally like value add plays on multifamily that, at least you can cover your bridge financing and then a little bit extra from the start. So you're not reaching out of pocket because what happens a lot of times is things take longer and then you're reaching out of your pocket more. So if you've got something that's already breaking even or cash flowing, even with more expensive bridge money, right. It's going to carry itself through. And then you're just, as you're filling these vacancies, your cash flow increases because I think that's kind of a win-win. And if you can structure that in a way that it's no money out of pocket and you're using all investor capital, it's the best model to be right. Because you're not stressed out about debt servicing this property because it's already cash flowing to, to a certain right. degree. You borrowed all the money from investors on a combination of bridge lending and people's self-directed IRAs. For example, you pair those together to get hundred percent financing. I like to do all deals with 100% financing, really. I mean, even if I had a bunch of money sitting around, I would use other people's money because I'd rather pay them eight or 10% in, in leverage and then have a big, big reserve 
and also because I think we always need a reserve fund because shit happens. And, 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 it, you know, if you're putting all the money into your deploying all the money into pro projects, what happens when something happens and you're scrambling? It's a lot harder when you're scrambling to raise money as opposed to raise money on a project by showing, showing somebody the opportunity. Would you be one of my investors? Right. As soon as we start turning properties over and we're giving, and we're get, returning the, uh, the funds with, with, with a return, and they make uh, they, the 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 uh, the uh, private investor that lends you money gets a return, right? What do they want to do again? They want to redeploy your money or their money to you. So you need to kind of prove that model because it's it's a lot easier for guys like Vinny Chopra to go raise millions and millions of dollars than me um, because he's got a track record raising millions and millions, and he's got a big investor list, you know, versus someone like me who's borrowed a lot of money, but not to that degree at all. Right. So, um, you get, just got to keep that in perspective, but you always want to have lenders like myself, right. That you can call and run, run things through because I can also be, because lenders have a little bit different skill set, you know, than you as the investor, they're going to give you feedback from a lender's perspective, which is also a safeguard to making a bad investment. It's invaluable. Well. It's right. invaluable because lenders always think about what can, a lot of times lenders think about what can go wrong and they help you, they help you not make stupid decisions. And a lot of times we, you know, you'll hear investors, you know, well, lenders, they just won't loosen up. I'll tell you, lenders are your best friends in many, many cases, most cases when in from that side. So I think they're, they're invaluable from that perspective. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And so, so tell me, Bo, as we wrap up, um, so, and one of the things I love about what he just said, he talked about millions of dollars of investing and buying a house for nine grand that's cash flowing. And it doesn't matter where you fall in that spectrum. The point is that you slide into it and you start taking action today. If it is buying 10 to $15,000 uh, single family homes in your area, getting them cleaned out and starting to rent to get cash flow, then take action on that today. Go and call out some and start finding some deals on that. If it's getting into the multifamily space, then, then, then take that route, connect with us so that we can, we can help you. So before I, Bo's going to tell how he, uh, you can get in touch with him in just a second. But before we do that, Bo, I always love to ask right before I, I close down, what are some good uh, books? What are your favorite real estate books that people ought to be reading? Um, my favorite books. Um, I don't really love like mechanical books on real estate investing as opposed to concepts. So I believe one of the best books um, is The E-Myth by Michael Gerber. Great book. Great book. Um, and basically just a snapshot of that is work on your business, not in your business, right? Like I've been grinding, you know, the, uh, some of the many mistakes I've met, made in my life is that I, early on, I never set up any systems, right? So I'm, I'm a, what I call a hunter-gatherer. I got to go hunting every day, right? And some people love to hunt every day, but I want to have the ability not to go hunting every day because I own enough passive income streams and, and I'm building it. Don't get me wrong, but I'm still far away from being able to walk away from originating deals. I like to originate deals, but in a perfect world, I wouldn't need to do it if I didn't have to do it and I have to do it. Right. So the, the, the book really kind of shows the concepts of, of really, penciling out your plan and looking at it that you're taking yourself out of that equation that you just penciled out 
and you're more of like and then picture that you're just looking at it uh looking at the game board from above and putting the pieces and orchestrating the deals and orchestrating the systems so when you can do that i think that's where it really becomes powerful and kind of before we went on air when we were talking about what i'm doing with my virtual assistants and things like that it's like learn how you can you can take tedious tasks that but that really help your business and have somebody else do them for three to five bucks an hour yeah and yeah, then focus yeah. focus on the money making activities i look back at some of the you know i look at back at this one deal in particular i did in california and it was like because of the network i had because of the things I set up, I literally probably spent four or five hours on the deal on it. It was a flip and I made 30 grand. I remember getting that check for 30 grand going shit. Like I almost felt like I didn't deserve it. Right. It was a partner <laughs> right. check on the deal, but yeah. you know, for five hours of work, but by creating these systems and building these connections and these relationships and um, being there and, and always being on top of things, you're going to get those opportunities. They don't happen every day, but when they do, and you get a $30,000 check for a few hours of work, though that's an amazing turning point in your life. And then having the confidence in yourself, right? Like, because what happened to me in 2008, 2007, the downturn, it really, it was really kind of a, a, a hard way. It was hard for me to get back on the, get back on the horse have the same confidence level and if i was confident i got would have just got right back up and said okay i made mistakes like this is i need you know obviously there's a million banks that went under and it was devastating time but if i would have gotten on the horse a little bit faster and and been ready in 2009 10 11 an acquisition phase i would have been farther ahead right but 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 also i am hard on myself so you got to you got to realize you got to not, you got to learn how to take it's not to be so hard on yourself. Right. And to, to, um, you know, like the other day I lost a potential loan for $17 million. It wasn't anything to do with my fault, but one of the partners was already working on it and that was a huge commission and it got me down the whole day. And I was, and, and that getting down the whole day takes you away from your forward progress. So I'm, you got to always move forward no matter what happens. And, and so, I, I constantly have to reset myself, if that makes sense to people that Good. are listening. Yeah, that's a because great mindset for mindset piece there, Bo. Ups and downs, ups and downs, but you got to plug through and you got to got to do it. I was just listening. Uh, so Michael, Michael Gerber, E-Myth, and then uh, Can't Hurt Me, uh, David Goggins. Okay, that's all mindset stuff. The real estate stuff, you're going to learn how to on, on these podcasts. You're going to, you know, that's that's you're going to learn the mechanics and, and you're going to find mentors that you can call and, and, and pick their brain for a second. Like, Hey, how would you structure this? How would I, you know, what does a contract on the, on a subject to deal look like? You know, what kind of insurance do I need to really put in into a land trust? You're going to learn those fundamentals, but really it's in the beginning. It's that mind mindset and that belief in yourself. And then as, as you're going and growing and scaling, it's that confidence level because there's a lot of people a lot more successful than I am that I'm 10 times, uh, more equipped in real estate, but they just crushed me from a pure perspective of their belief in themselves and their commitment to doing it. So that's what I really look at going forward. Uh, my determination to, to make myself a better real estate investor. That's, that, that's really good. And, and one of the things that Bo said a little bit earlier that I forgot to circle back to was he made that comment um, about taking action, taking massive action. I want to make sure that I remind everybody 
you will learn way more doing deals than you will learning about deals. And meaning you're going to learn way more doing a deal than you are from our podcast. You're going to learn way more by doing a deal than you are from reading any books I write or anybody else writes. And not that you shouldn't be reading or listening to podcasts. That's why we do this. We want to help people. And to, to, because I do think before you do a deal, we want to get you some education. So you're going into it with his eyes as open as you can, but you're going to get in there and you're going to find out things that you're going to learn more by doing deals. So we want you to do deals. So I'll have both these books guys in the show notes. That's E-Myth and can't hurt me. I'll make sure that I'll have both those books in the show notes. Also, Bo, how can they get in touch with you, man? How can they, uh, I'll, I'll make sure that I put Bo's uh, contact information that he wants you to can I, uh, connect with him through uh, in sure. the show notes as well. How can they get in touch with you, my man? BoExtein.com. BoExtein.com. Um, it has all my contact phone numbers has links to my Facebook groups, has links to connect with me on Calendly, has videos cool. if you want to learn about HUD financing, has videos if you want to learn about bridge lending. Just basically, I what I did is I created a, a uh, website business card, I call it. So you can just learn more about me and connect with me. Good. That's, that's great. And Bo, thanks again for being on today. I know that you are uh, busy. Um, he's actually about to run off to another show that he does. Um, and, uh, to, to continue to help people. And so I really, uh, appreciate that. I appreciate your time and I appreciate your, um, mentorship and relationship in the lending space. And, and, uh, so I'm really excited about some of the things that we'll do together as well. So thanks again for today, buddy. I really appreciate it. And guys, make sure you go check Bo out. You cannot get to the level of your potential without lending. It just, you just can't do it. You won't do it. You'll always, if you're trying to pay cash for deals or raise, um, the equivalent of a, of a, of a selling price. Um, you're always going to be, I mean, we need lenders on our team and good ones at that. So make sure you go check Bo out. And again, Bo, thanks a bunch for being on today, brother. And uh, we will chat at you all soon. Go please find deals and find money. Have a great week, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Power Up Real Estate Podcast with Mike Fritz. This podcast has been brought to you by Titanium Capital, the home for multifamily real estate investing. You can find them at titaniumcapitalhq.com. That's titaniumcapitalhq.com.